Hey, my name's Tim Bratz, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, today's guest is Tim Bratz, and this guy has accomplished so much in a short period of time. He has gone on to build a real estate empire under his company, Legacy Wealth Holdings, amassing over 4,000 doors, as well as coaching hundreds of students along the way to do the same, and is also a co-founder of Little Legacy Library, which is a children's book series. And he's done all of this while still being in his 30s. In today's episode, we dive deep into how he was able to build the confidence to have such success at an early age, how he scaled and hired his team, and how his mother played a huge role on how he shows up every single day. Tim has shared a quick insight into how he is testing himself to see how he would run his business if he only had one hour a day to do. It was fascinating to hear about and something that everybody could learn from. I was also fascinated by hearing about why he started the children's book company and around the philosophy he has of giving and what he is doing for people around him. This is another incredible episode packed full of information. So grab your notepad and pens as we dive into the brain of Tim Bratz. All right. I am excited to welcome our guest today, Tim Bratz. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay. Uh, I wanted to start with a, a bit of a conversation just about age. And you had a lot of success early on in your career and in your early 30s where pumping out a lot of real estate units and having a lot of success. And I was just curious to know, like, what kind of confidence did you have to create in yourself to start building such an expansive business in your late 20s, early 30s? Oh, man, that's a really good question. That's a deep one to get started with. I would say I was inspired by some big, like the last real estate boom and entrepreneurial boom was in that when I was going through college, 03 to 07. So a lot of people were making a lot of money and talking about how much money that they were making. So that was something that got me excited initially to make money for me and to go on vacations and buy cars and fancy houses and that kind of stuff. That was the initial motivation. And so when I graduated college and I was broke, I was like, guess what? I can't be broker than I am right now. Like I don't have any money in my bank account. What do I have to lose? And the worst thing that could happen is I go back to living with my parents, which I already was already living with my parents. So I, I didn't have anything. I think people build up these big risks in their head kind of thing. And dude, in my head, I was always like, what's the worst case scenario versus the best case scenario? And the worst case scenario was even if I went bankrupt, okay, so my credit screwed up for six years or seven years or whatever it ends up being. But at least there's a floor, right? If you go to zero, at least you go to zero. You can't go negative, really. You can just go bankrupt and get rid of all that. 
obviously nobody wants to do that. I'd never be reckless or negligent in that regard. But at the same time, I'm like, what's the upside? What's the benefit? And you know what it is? It's limitless income potential by just going big, by just thinking bigger and doing bigger deals. And I was like, you know what? No ceiling versus a floor. I'm willing to take that risk. And that was a philosophy in my head early on where I was like, if I'm going to do this, I might as well just do it, right? Like Life is short. That's what everybody says. Even if you're in your 20s, you don't really think that way, but it was still like, hey, let's just roll. Let's just go with it. Roll the dice. Who cares? So did you, it wasn't that I was like negligent. It was just like, I could look at the worst case scenario and stomach it for the upside potential. Did you have some good mentors or some good guidance along the way? Or was that something that you just found by yourself through YouTube and reading books? Or did you actually have someone that kind of held your hand and showed you the ways of making some money? Yeah, I think mentorship comes in many different ways. And to your point, dude, I read two books in all of high school and college. That's it. And I still, I was like, I don't know, graduated with 3.3 or whatever. But like, I got a master's degree after college because I read a book every month or two every month about rich dad, poor dad, how to win friends and influence people, think and grow rich. And I read more books the first two months after college than I did in all of college and high school and got like this degree the first year of just understanding that there's another way of thinking, another path out there. So that was big. And a lot of people talked about mentorship and this kind of stuff. And I had a lot of great influences. My mom was a huge influence. My dad is an amazing influence. My brother is a great influence and a lot of good teachers and stuff that were great influences. But when I was out in the real world, I was pretty good at finding bad actors in order to be my mentors early on. And I was, I guess I did, I couldn't judge character early on. Now I see right through it. But early on, yeah, I think you have to go through a lot of bad girlfriends before you find a good girlfriend. Like I went through a lot of bad mentors before I ever found a good mentor. But you can still learn things from bad mentors. You learn what you don't want, right? There's people who are raised with abusive fathers or alcoholic mothers, and they know what they don't want to be a parent like. And so they say, hey, I'm going to swing this much farther on this side to make sure that I'm not abusive. I'm not an alcoholic. And I did that kind of in business where like, this guy's sketchy. I don't ever want people thinking that those thoughts about me. I don't like the way that this person treats their tenants or how they talk down to people. I'm going to go in this direction. So I think you can equally learn from bad mentors as much as you do from good mentors. It's just understanding that the educational realm and traditional institutional education, right? Like the public school system that I went through teaches us enough to believe what people tell us, to believe what we're taught, but they don't teach us enough typically to question what we're taught. And fortunately, like my dad's a very emotionally intelligent person. So is my brother. And like, they question a lot of things and they talk philosophically about a lot of stuff. And that kind of rubbed off on me. And I can differentiate the good things versus the bad things. Because sometimes you just don't realize it. And when you can differentiate the good versus the bad in a single mentor, you could take the good and you can leave the bad. And so that was something I really focused on. And, but dude, I didn't find like a really good mentor or mentorship type setup until I was 29 years old. I joined my first mastermind in 2015. Right after I turned, I was like 29 and a half, right? And and plugged into something. And I was like, this is it, right? And the guy who was running it, it's a good buddy of mine now, one of my one of my best buddies, Mark Evans. And you look at the leader and you see the leader attracts people who are like them. And when you look at the leader and you're looking to join a mastermind or looking to join some mentorship program or platform or something with other people, you can look at the leader and realize they're going to attract more people like them in that community. And, and I found amazing people, right? And there were some people 
who were mentors of mine in relationships. Other people were mentors in finances. Other were in personal finance and wealth building. Other ones were real estate investors and mentors of mine. Other ones were health, kind of had their health dialed in, but maybe didn't have the biggest business. But again, you can take and pick and choose what you want from different mentors and let them give you everything. Then it's your job to differentiate that insight. Brilliant, man. And I totally agree that some of the best lessons I've ever learned have from or have become or have been from like poor mentors, people who just sucked at leadership or management or a business period. And I just had that light bulb moment of this is a horrible thing. And I want to be, like you said, on the polar opposite side of that particular piece. But I've heard you on, on, on podcast mention that you like to ask yourself progressive questions. Can you give us a couple examples of what that might look like and turning that like mindset belief from perhaps a limited mindset to more of a opportunistic mindset? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I never have been the guy where somebody who can't do something and then be like, I guess I can't. And then my mind shuts off and then I go move on with the next task that was in line. If somebody, if, if there's, hey, you can't do something, I always ask myself, like, dude, if you ask yourself a question versus telling yourself a statement, a question leads to more questions or a question leads to more answers or questions that lead to better answers. And so I would be like, how could I, right? And an easy one is, is, hey, I didn't have any money. I wanted to do a deal in 2009 after the market collapsed. And I'm trying to think of like, how do I get access to capital? And people are like, nobody's lending money, right? The global financial meltdown is occurring and nobody's lending money. And I remember thinking like, banks lend money. They're not all out of business. Like they're still in business. So they must be lending money to somebody. Like who, who are they lending money to? And I asked, I just asked a simple, who are they lending money to? And I was like, they're lending money to people who have big portfolios, people who have businesses that are cash flowing. And guess what? They're still lending money to people with credit cards. And I was like, I have a credit card. What, I wonder if I could increase my limit on this credit card because only $3,000. I don't know. Let's go find out. And I called up my credit card company. I asked them to increase my credit limit to $100,000. And they said, absolutely not. But they gave me $15,000. And I was like, okay. And I just started asking questions. And I think, again, it, it, when you ask yourself questions, it leads you down this path of getting new answers or it leads you down a path of asking better questions and more pointed questions in order to lead to better answers. If you go into Google and you just search Italian restaurants, you're going to get every Italian restaurant in North America, right? If you search Italian restaurants in Vancouver with four-star ratings or above and only $2 signs in a certain pocket of Little Italy or whatever it is, then, then you're going to get a much more pointed, direct answer. And so the more pointed your questions are, the more pointed your answers can be in everything in life. And whenever I find myself in a roadblock, I'm like... Oh man, it's not how do I get out of this situation? It's like, all right, what are a couple different solutions in order to get out of this situation? And it forces me to not think of one answer. It forces me to think of two or three answers. And when you think past that first one, then your, your creative juices really start flowing. And then you have three different options. And then you can weigh the costs and benefits of each one of those and say, listen, this might not be the best, but it's the best out of the options that I have. And that's the route that I'm going to take on fixing this problem or pursuing this endeavor or whatever that ends up being. I just love the idea of asking better questions. And every time I ask better questions, I get better answers and more progress in my life. What are some of the questions you're asking yourself today? 
I create a lot of constraints. Early on, there were constraints put on me. I don't like constraints that are put on me. An investor backed out at the last minute on a deal and I had to raise $4 million over the course of a weekend for closing on a Monday. He backed out on a Friday morning. And that's a bad, that's a bad constraint. But I was able to push through it. And I realized that constraints get things done, right? When you're packing to go on vacation, when do you pack? Usually 30 minutes before you head to the airport, right? Because there's a timeline associated to it. And that constraint is in place. And I realized every time there's a constraint put on me, guess what? I get uncomfortable, but I break through and I, I overcome those constraints. And over the course of growing older, having more time in business, maturing a little bit, I'm like, well, how can I not have those put on me? How can I put them on myself? And so I'm like, all right, here's a constraint and something that I do on, a, on an annual basis. If I was on an island and I only had my cell phone for one hour per day and I had internet for an hour and I had phone for one hour, that was it. And then it gets shut off. Who do you talk to? Who do you call? Who from your business do you need to hire in order to put in place to continue running things when you're not there? What metrics do you measure on your phone call with that person? What are the most important needle-moving KPIs, key performance indicators, or the most important activities that you can measure from your team where they can say, hey, we had this many offers, this much rent collections, this much in delinquency, this much in leases or new leases signed or open houses that were hosted or whatever that ends up being. What are those key performance indicators where in a two-minute phone call, you know exactly you can take the temperature of your business. And, and so I play that game. I'm like, hey, if I only had one hour a day, who do I talk to? And, and who, what do I measure? And what do I need to do? And who do I need to hire in order to comb through my emails so I don't have to spend an hour combing through my emails? So it creates a constraint on me, a hypothetical one, that then makes me put better systems, processes, and people in my business so that way I really can run a business with one hour a day. I really can go and hang out on a jet ski or go kiteboarding or travel the world and check on my phone one hour anywhere I am in the globe and make sure that business is continuing to move forward. I think that's a pretty cool constraint to put on yourself. It's an incredible exercise to go through. I'm going to probably do that this weekend. In that regard, though, I'm curious what your thoughts are on... It's something that you've probably been able to build into is like removing yourself from the operation aspect of the business to free up more of your time over the career of your entrepreneurial world. Do you think that you can create that like almost open brackets, like one hour a day type of work life from day one? Or do you have to go through the stages and the steps and like the hustle and grind of getting to know the operations aspect of management, leadership, the intricacies of different things? Or can yeah, you just architect it from day one that way? Dude, that's a great question. And I think where a lot of people get caught up and start spinning in circles is because they try to architect and they try to never do anything in their business. And they just try to put all the systems and CRMs and all those things in place before they've actually gone out and done the activities that need to be done, like that they need to do. And dude, I, don't, I, I, I can't, I don't know of anybody who did all that and then had this flourishing business. I really can't, I don't know of anybody personally who's done that, who hasn't actually gone through the processes of getting into the weeds, roll up their sleeves, doing the work and going through the grind themselves. So I can't speak to if that's possible. Maybe it is. I just don't know anybody who has. 
dude, for me, it's the journey of a thousand steps. Steps starts with one and you hire one person first, right? Now I have a big organization. I have 15 to 17 people like in my core investment and like educational coaching team. And I have another 120 property level employees as well. All, maintenance, leasing, property managers, all that stuff. On top of all the vendors and the contractors and stuff that we employ on a 1099 basis. So it's like, how does it start? Like, I remember looking at that, looking at people with big businesses and thinking, I don't even know where to begin. And you begin with hiring one. And a simple exercise that I've done is I catalog my entire week. Every 15 minutes, my alarm clock's going off and I put an Excel spreadsheet from the time I wake up at 6 to 6.15, 6 6.30, 6.45, 7.00, all the way down. Woke up, went to the bathroom, walked the dog, had breakfast, worked out, checked my phone for an hour and a half, tooling around, right? Actually went to the office, got cleaned up, and did the, and you go through it, that activity for an entire week until you lay your head down at 10 o'clock at night or whatever that is. And you catalog it. And then you go back to that. That creates an amazing amount of awareness of where you're spending your time. And there's, there's, I put two icons next to every single one of those, two little symbols next to every single line item across every single day. The first was a dollar sign or a zero. Did it make money or did it not make money? Okay. So now I have awareness of what actually makes money in the business because revenue solves almost all problems, right? Like revenue, if you have revenue that's being generated, you can hire who you need to hire. You can pay the attorney to deal with a lawsuit. <laughs> you can handle almost anything if you have revenue coming in. So that was a big deal. And then the second one was from a happiness perspective, do I like doing this or not? So I either put a smiley face or a frowny face. And I focused on the things that made money and made me happy. And everything else that had a zero next to it or a frowny face next to it was became the job description for my assistant. And I hired an assistant. That's a first move that I would make. If you don't have anybody on your team, you need an assistant immediately in order to get the non-revenue generating activities and the headache activities, the draining activities off your plate. Hand that off. And dude, by doing that, I tripled my income from 2019 to 2020. Wow. I, and I made 130 grand in 2019. First time I ever made it six figures. And I made $400,000 in 2020. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm 2014 to 2015. Sorry. I made a lot more than that in 2020. <laughs> 2014, I made 130. 2015, I made 400 grand. And it was because of that activity. And I joined a mastermind in 2015 also. And my income has only gone up because I've gotten really good at understanding what I'm good at and staying in my lane on those things. That's the first thing that I would do, right? And then you can do that activity again, three, six, nine months down the road and say, hey, where am I spending my time? Now, the next hire typically is somebody who could help with sales or revenue generation. So in, in real estate, that could be an acquisitions person or in a traditional business, that could be a sales expert or sales person who can go out and sell and generate more revenue. Because again, if you have two people now generating revenue, you're going to make even more money, which now you can hire more support staff. So that's, that would be, dude, and then you just follow that process. All right, where are the bottlenecks? Great. Let's hire somebody for that. But it's not just plugging a hole with a person. You have to screen them properly. You have to coach them and mentor them and train them properly. And you have to measure their performance on an ongoing basis. If you're not doing those three things, screening them, training them, and measuring their progress all the time, then you're not doing the right, you're not doing the right thing for that employee, right? You're not being a good leader because that's what good leaders do. And you got to make sure that it's not an emotionally driven business. It is a 
data-driven business. And it's all done based on metrics. That, that leads perfectly into the question that I was just wanting to ask you is that you run a team of some pretty high performers, obviously in the space you're in, they have to be pretty high performing in the space you're in. How challenging is it being a leader for your team? Good question. I would say it definitely keeps you on your toes. Like you want to maintain leadership. Like you're always working on yourself. Like I'm always consistently working on myself, having conversations, reading, watching the podcast and improving myself personally. So that way I can be a better leader. And for me, my leadership and probably the greatest skill set that I bring is really vision and like setting the vision and getting people on board with the vision. I remember early on, man, we had some very skinny days with my existing team many of which, most of which are actually still with me. And uh, with some very, and I'm like, listen, guys, if we can get through this, everything's going to be all right. We got to get through these. And I've painted the vision. Hey, we got to get through this portion. We got to stop flipping houses. We got to get into buying and holding our own stuff. We started buying and holding some headache properties, got into some bigger ones, better ones. And now really the pay is starting to really roll in for the team. And uh, over the past few years, and by letting them know and, and always casting a vision, like when I hired that assistant, it wasn't, I'm not hiring you for this role. I'm hiring you for the next two roles. He's now my director of asset management over a multi 3000 unit portfolio. And so he started out as my assistant, but guess what? He knew exactly how I thought, right? And listening to me and hearing me and seeing how I answer questions over the course of seven years, he can now think for me for the most part. <laughs> so it's going through that. I allow them to mess up, but yeah, man, I'm always working on myself. I'm always trying to lead from the front. I'm always painting a vision of where we're going, right? It's not about where we are right now. Here's where we are right now. We got to handle some of these issues. But as soon as we get past here, the next checkpoint is going to be here and here. And here's where the goals are. And I'm always putting out something for us to always yearn for, always to move toward. And I think the culture is a big piece of it and realizing like my team knows that I would fall on a sword for them. And I am, I'm wildly loyal to my team and they are wildly loyal to me. There's people that do, we have a lot of eyeballs on us from social media and everything. There's people all the time who reach out to my acquisitions guy and my COO would try to get them to come and jump ship and work for them. And the reality is they know that the grass is not always greener on the other side. So my team knows that. Also, my team knows how loyal I am to them and they are equally loyal to me. And I give a lot of equity up in my deals to my team and especially the like executive level folks. And now we're starting to loop in a lot of bonuses and even investing in equity for mid-level management as well. And who else is going to give that to them? There's nobody else that can give that to them. They know that. And I painted the vision and I treat them really well. I pay them. I overcompensate them in pay. I overcompensate them in equity. And, and I'm wildly loyal to them. And I think, I don't know if there's anything better that you can do other than paint vision and be loyal to your team. You got those couple of things, then they have the long-term vision. They're on the same page as you and they're reaching the same goals as you. And they're not, you don't have to worry about them going anywhere. It sets an example too, which I think is just so important because it not only does it set the example for their work environment, working with you as you guys are growing in your own particular vision, but that then affects their personal lives as well. And they get to hold that standard in the rest of their lives as well. So I think that's great. And definitely a lesson that I've learned over some of those bad one mentors that I mentioned earlier, but transition a little bit into the give big side of the podcast. And I want to bring up some family and I was reading about you a little bit and I saw that your mom had a pretty big impact on you and was perhaps the start 
of the passion that you have for philanthropy. Can you tell us where that came from and what was it that happened early on in life that that kind of set you down this road? Yeah, my mom was always, so she's got like a teaching degree. She's very supportive, very uplifting. Timmy, you can be anything that you want to be. Like, I didn't come from money, but I definitely came from a wildly rich family in support. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And my family was always there for that. So, dude, that's way better than being gifted money, right? Having, uh, being told you can do anything and helping that build into your confidence as a young child going through middle school and high school, which is a very, it can be a time where you're very insecure about a lot of stuff and always having that in the back. Hey, Timmy, you're so smart. Like, you can do anything. And am I that smart? I don't know if I'm really, I don't think I'm that smart, right? I'm, but my mom always told me I was, so I thought I was. So then I got better grades. You know what I mean? It's one of those kinds of things. And from a wisdom perspective, my mom was always supportive of that. My dad was always very, again, philosophical and thinking about things and looking at the big picture, emotionally intelligent. And so I got that from both of them. But my mom stayed at home with four kids, raised four kids when my dad worked three jobs and he was a cop. And he also was a, uh, he had his PhD or went through school police department gave him his, uh, kept on paying for education until he got a PhD. And then he became a professor at one of the local community colleges. And then that turned into like a side business for him as well. And so he ran three different jobs, businesses all the time while my mom handled some of the payroll and then took care of the kids and was handling all that. So she always wanted, was always looking for some like identity type of a piece and found that in philanthropy, found that in volunteering with the schools and really found it in supporting kids and education with kids. And so she was always in PTA. She was on this PTA president, PTA council. She runs all these different scholarship programs for the entire school district. Now she was president of the entire school district PTA thing for a couple of years and then was on the school board for, uh, I don't know, a time early 2000s. And then she's on it again now. And so like, that's always been her thing of like, how do we give back? How do we pay it forward? And I think I'm not really a big check writer, uh, n- not in the regards of just blankly writing checks and donating money to whatever cause. I do some of that, right? Like if somebody asked me to donate money to their cause, essentially I, hey, here's 500 bucks, here's a thousand dollars, whatever. But the things that really are near and dear to me are the educational side of things, right? Instead of giving a man a fish, you teach him how to fish, right? Instead of giving somebody money right? Or giving somebody to then pay for their housing or giving somebody money to go pay for their food. Why not teach them how to deserve, how to earn, how to create value in society in order to then earn money? Dude, it's not just about them not being a a taker from society. It's about, there's a self-worth aspect to that. There's a confidence level aspect to that. There's a cultural and social a paradigm shift that occurs where it's not, hey, go have a bunch of babies because that's how you get paid, right? Because that's a very real conversation that happened at the first apartment building that I ever had. I saw a woman who was 40 years old talking to a 15-year-old girl that says, hey, if you want to get paid, you need to go have babies because they'll pay you $250 a month for every baby that you have. And I was like, this is not the system, right? This is a broken, broken thought process. Like, How do we change the philosophy? How do we change the dynamic of how people think? And instead of telling them that that's the way, like, how do we give them the confidence to go out and earn, right? Like there's a self-worth aspect that comes with that. And so, hey, somebody lives in, in project housing or something in subsidy housing, maybe pay for their rent, but have them paint the front door, have them right. landscape the house. Have, like it's not worth a whole month's rent 
but it starts the deserving process. It starts the earning process. And so education is big on, uh, in my mind, of how do we program people the right way? And you have to do that usually from an early age, which is why children's education really resonates with me the most. And so anything that I can do to support kids, support scholarships, support education in a way that is achievement-oriented and self-worth oriented and confidence oriented like that's confidence comes from having little victories over time how can we help kids and adults have little victory after little victory after little victory and confidence comes from the memory of that winning and so that's what confidence is and so how do we develop that early on and i think by sharing certain philosophies and thought processes of not being a victim but instead you have a choice it's up to you of what you want to achieve, what you can achieve. And uh, I mean, I mean, in North America, you guys are in Canada, I'm in the United States, like there's no better place in the entire world where you can go from the meagerest of beginnings to straight to the top. And so the only thing that's lacking is a teacher, right? Kids don't lack the ability to learn. They only lack a teacher and somebody willing to coach and teach them on that stuff. So that's the stuff that really resonates with me. Yeah, let's talk about that though, because you you saw that and I have read a little bit of your story and along the way you read a book and it changed your life to go create kids' books and go inspire the younger generation. So why don't you quickly just share a little bit about what the Little Legacy Library is all about and what you're doing with it? Yeah, yeah. I Going through school, you're trained and programmed a certain way. After school, I told you I read all these books and totally reprogrammed my thinking. And I remember coming back from an event and when I was 31 years old, I had a daughter who was about to turn two and I was reading The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. And I just got through the prologue and I'm, re- I'm like, these, pr- these principles are so profound. And I hadn't even heard them with all the books and audio books and cassettes and stuff that I listened to or CDs that I listened to for the decade prior. I, and I hadn't learned some of those concepts. And I was like, how do I convey this to my kid? Can you imagine learning this at 30, let alone learning it at two? Or three years old, like in the most, when they're really sponges, when they're really developing their personality, like how do I convey it then? And so I got off a plane ride after when I was reading that book, started Googling certain like books for kids. And there was a lot out there on the golden rule and treating others how you want to be treated and being kind and respectful and things along those lines. But there wasn't anything on setting a goal, right? sacrificing things you care about for something you care really even more about. Leadership, how to develop influence, how to become likable, right? How to develop confidence, how to show gratitude for the things you have, right? Like, hey, I felt sorry for the person with no shoes until I met somebody with no feet and giving them something to compare their situation to. And and then obviously wealth building principles. There's some on making money and saving money and stuff like that. But like, there's a few principles of building wealth that transcend time, transcend industry, transcend generations. And uh, there wasn't anything out there like that. And so I think when the universe, when God, when whatever you call it, plants the seed in the back of your head and you ignore it, you're essentially turning away the universe. You're turning away God, right? And to me, I was like, I can't do that. I actually sat on the idea of writing these children's books in order to feed this need in the, in the marketplace and in, in society. And so I sat on it for, that was in 2017. I didn't do anything until 2019, end of 2019, so over two and a half years. And I was talking with some friends and ended up partnering with my wife and one of my best female friends from high school. We go on vacation with her and her family every single year. And the ladies 
write the books. I kind of give the inspiration. Here's a couple of the concepts that we want to make sure we convey. The ladies come up with the story. We found some amazing illustrators and we created a children's book series called Little Legacy Library. And it's a series of four books right now. We're looking to add many more books to that. But they essentially take the concepts and principles from a lot of the classic personal development books and turn them into children's versions. So just like there's Think and Grow Rich, we have Think Big and Go to Baseball Camp. Just like there's How to Win Friends and Influence People, we have How to Win Class President. The richest man in Babylon, we have the richest kid in the neighborhood. So we've taken those, the main principles in some of those books, recreated characters, recreated stories, and conveyed those thought principles in these books. For kids, I would say four to 10 years old, somewhere in that range is a good age group for it. And it's awesome. Like we feel, we love it. I, like, I know you could write it, you could write a check or you go and create tools that people can use for generations to come. And I think that creates a greater ripple effect than just writing the checks. Although again, I do write a lot of checks and donate a lot of money. I have a bigger, I think I, there's a bigger impact. And there's a bigger way that we can educate and inspire people to do more, be more and have more, give more. I think that's the perfect age to have that type of impact as well. And I'm a, soul, a big believer that that future entrepreneurs are going to be the ones that save the world kind of thing in lots of different systemic types of issues. Yep. But I think that's a, a, I'm excited to see those books and I'm excited for the impact that's going to have on future generations. And I'm, heard, I'm sure that you've had a ton of stories from parents and kids who have read the, that series and have had a positive impact, which I'm sure brings you a lot of joy. But perhaps above and beyond that, or is there a particular story or is there a story that you can think back onto in general that is a favorite moment of giving that just gives you goosebumps today that still just hits real, hits, hits real home? Yeah. I think a lot of people get into business because they want to go make a bunch of money because they think about all the flashy, cool stuff that, that you can buy, right? Like you can get the jet skis, you can get the cars, you can get the mansions, you can take the vacations. And, and have that sense of financial security and a lot of that kind of stuff. What I don't think people talk a lot about is what about the things that you don't, you're not planning for? What about like being financially secure because of the shitstorm that can sometimes get thrown at you? And it's a crazy story, but what, four years ago or so, one of my good friends from a mastermind group that I was in, his, his niece got diagnosed with something called DIPG, which is children's brain cancer. And uh, there's like less than a, 10% chance that the kid lasts two years and 0%, it's like infinitesimal that it's 0%, less than 1% of, of them lasting five years or longer. And uh, so this little girl, cute little, same age as my daughter gets DIPG and like the diagnosis is horrible. And it's like a, it's like a weed growing around the brainstem of your child where you watch them slowly lose their systemic abilities to do anything, their move their body make faces, eat, go to the bathroom, and eventually it turned it it strangles their spinal cord so much and their brainstem so much that it turns off all the uh, all the functions, the vital functions of their body. And uh, so there's not much you can do. But this little girl loved Disney. She loved princesses. And fortunately I was in a position where I could say, hey, I got a suite, right? Like she's going through diet like like chemo and radiation and all this stuff. So I got a suite to go see Disney on ice up in Cleveland, Ohio. And I extended an invitation and they ended up coming out and she got to meet the princesses and was hanging out with my daughter and got to hang out and, and, and see that. And that was probably four years ago. And, and that little girl's still alive. It beaten the odds. She's still alive. Where it really takes a turn is 
last summer, my partner in the children's book, my best friend, female best friend from high school, and her husband, one of my best friend, one of my best guy friends. And like they have a little daughter that's the same age as my daughter and the same age as this other little girl. And she got diagnosed with DIPG last summer. I didn't know, I didn't even realize that it was the same thing until she got diagnosed with it. And she, this girl's like my niece. I'm closer with her than I am some of my own family. She's my daughter's best friend. She's my best friend's daughter and at the same time. And she got diagnosed with, with DIPG. And again, going back to what they don't tell you, man, is like, what about all the other stuff? Like when something like that, when a curveball like that gets thrown at you and I'm able to make a phone call to my best buddy, to my best friends and say, listen, guys, I make this money, not for me. I make it so I can help other people. What do you need? If your job's not willing to play ball, and he had a good job making good money for a pharmaceutical company and was making, I don't know, six figures, multiple six figures. I was like, dude, what do you need? 10 grand a month, 20 grand a month, 30 grand a month, whatever it is, you need to be focused on time with your little girl and let me plug that hole for you. So that's one less thing that you have to worry about. And his company was absolutely awesome about supporting him. You take your time off, whatever you need, work from home, spend time with the fam, kept him on payroll. He was able to dial back. So he didn't need to take that. But I think the point is like being able when something like that happens and you never know when something like that happens, being able to be there and support. And dude, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I can because it's, she's like my little niece, but like also having it to your daughter of having to worry about money and finances while you're also going through that, the most horrible thing. And she ended up passing away in, in less than 12 months. So she just passed away and we laid her to rest last month and a horrible situation, but it's, it gives you some peace of mind knowing that we, by being able to lead the charge and make a big impact and drive in a value for other people that they're willing to pay us for our goods and for our services. And that we can then take that money and use it for good in order to support and help other people in some of the darkest times of their life. If we can be just a little beacon of light, I think that's a really powerful place to be. And that's a wild story and kind of came full circle, but yeah, that's what really stands out. Thank you for, for sharing that and being vulnerable and our blessings to you and their families and everything that's going on with that. I couldn't imagine, but what a what a peace of mind it must have been for him knowing he had somebody like you on the other end that was willing to just stroke a check tomorrow to eliminate some problems. And like you said, that's something not a lot of people are in a position to do. And I think a lot of people that are creating wealth, that's what they should be striving for is that ability to save somebody's life or family's lives in this instance without even having to think twice about it. So kudos to you, man. And so grateful there's people like you in this world that want to do good with the money they're making, which is why you're on our podcast. <laughs> so uh, awesome, man. We're going to jump into our uh, giving round here and close out the show and let you get back to your work here. But quickly, just brag on one charity that you like. So because of that, yeah, we donate a lot of money to DIPG awareness and uh, we've raised a lot of money. We've at my mastermind events, people have donated tens of thousands of dollars. We've raised money at kind of auctions. We've partnered up with, really they partnered up with, and we've helped promote some different breweries. The little girl's name was Ayla who passed away. And so Ayla's got her own like beer and people buy the beer and all the proceeds from that beer right. go to, to supporting DIPG awareness and treatments because it's such a rare cancer. There's not much money that goes towards it. There's something called the Cure Starts Now. 
and they're the main funder of DIPG awareness. And so a lot of the money goes towards the cure starts now. Very honorable cause and Ayla's Ayla just sounds perfect. That's what it is. Yeah. But we'll get some more excited donating a million dollar check or spending a week physically helping others. Yeah. I think it depends on where's the money going and how's it being put to use. I'm a bigger believer in like, I love seeing and meeting somebody. Another thing that was kind of cool was I had a, a suite to the Cavs when the Cavs were going through the playoffs with LeBron James in 2017 after they won the, the NBA championship. And like when you buy a suite, you get it for the entire series. And in that series, they didn't, play, like I went to the first two games, hosted a business mastermind, had some family out. And then the series got extended and went to seven games. There were four home games. And I was like, I'm not that excited about going to another game. Whereas it would completely revolutionize probably somebody else's life. And so I put it up on social media. I said, Hey, I have, I had 18, no, I had 20 tickets. I think I had 20 tickets to this suite stacked with food, stacked with drinks, had the whole thing taken care of. And I put on social media, I said, Hey, who do you know who's deserving of being able to go to the Cavs game? I want to meet somebody who's not only overcome adversity, but also paid it forward. And I had, I don't know, 150, it got picked up by the news. I know it was like 800, I think. It was some crazy number. And I narrowed it down to essentially five families that I gave four tickets to and a lot of just amazing people that like one girl lost her sister to an accidental overdose of drugs. And now this, her younger sister goes around and speaks at all the different high schools and stuff in order to talk about drugs and overdose and that kind of stuff. And you know, things like that. A woman who, who overcame breast cancer and while she was going through breast cancer, she was mentoring and coaching other people in education and, and started a nonprofit in order to raise money for all this other stuff, like just amazing, incredible individuals. And uh, so anyways, uh, gave them a suite and then did it again for the fourth game as well. But I guess my point coming full circle is like, I like to know the people that I'm making an impact on. Like you hear these horrible stories about, I, don't know, I think like the Wounded Warrior Project, like 3% actually of the money that you donate to them actually goes to Wounded Warriors. Yeah. The rest of it goes to executives and marketing budgets and all this other nonsense. That to me gives me pause on writing a big check to some organization. Yeah. I would rather know who I'm making an impact to. There's a family that my buddy Mark Evans introduced us to and said, hey, the their niece and or the sister and her husband were died in a car accident. And now they have two kids who don't have parents and they're coming to live with the aunt and uncle. The aunt and uncle are in a two bedroom house and they already have three of their own kids. They just need to add another room to put these other two kids into. And between me and a couple other guys, we donated enough money, gave them Home Depot gift cards, hired contractor, and they built another room onto their house for fifteen dollars or $20,000 in order to soften a pretty difficult blow that these, that this family had. So like that to me makes a bigger impact than just writing a check and not knowing. So I would much rather be boots on the ground and get to meet the people that you're impacting. Very cool. Some very inspiring stories there. And again, loving the fact that you're using your money for good to help people that are in need. Who inspires you with their giving? Mark Evans. You've heard me talk about him a few times. He hosts a big event and uh, every year on his birthday in June and has hundreds of people come out, hosts. I spoke at it, a guy named Sean Whalen spoke at it. He had uh, some big, big entrepreneurs up on stage talking, helping people with their business for a couple of days. Then he throws a big bash the last night and, and does, has people donate coaching or has people donate artwork or has all sorts of different stuff like that. 
and does it all for donations, raffles it all off. And he raised over half a million dollars at his last birthday party just in June. And all proceeds, obviously there's proceeds from ticket sales and stuff. He doesn't keep any of it. Like all of it goes to paying for the event, for food and meals and making sure it's a first-class event. And any extra money goes straight to the nonprofit. And then, and then all the proceeds from the charity auction and people buying artwork and for $25,000 and $40,000 and all this I think stuff. you're the third person to mention Mark Evans as a person that is giving in. I'll give a plug. He was on our podcast on a few episodes earlier okay. and had an incredible episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, I would definitely go check out the episode with Mark Evans. He gets favorite, you, for sure. Giving is a muscle, right? You got to exercise that muscle. You don't go in slinging up 250 pounds on the bench press right out of the gate. You got to work that muscle. And if you're not working that muscle early on and you're not tithing to charities and nonprofits and philanthropies or your religious organization, whatever you support, whatever you believe in, having money just amplifies who you are. It doesn't make you better or worse of a person. It amplifies who you are. So if you're already giver with smaller dollar amounts, you will give more the more money that you make. And so exercise that muscle, even if you don't have a lot to give a penny, right? Start with a penny and start exercising the giving muscle of donating 10 cents, a dollar, $10, $100, $1,000, and just keep on working it up. I think there's a lot of things to be said if we just all help support each other that way. Thousand percent. And then it compounds too, right? But just in a short answer here, and I think I already know it after that answer there, but do you think that entrepreneurs should start giving from the beginning of their business or after they've seen some success? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Again, it's a muscle, right? You got to start from the very beginning. You just got to do a little bit. Again, you don't need a ton. It's more about it's more about the the action of you taking it and other people seeing it, and then you being other people being inspired by your action. So, even if it's a penny, like like just do something. When you hear "go big to give big," what do you think of? Oh man, I think that the only limitation on anybody who's listening to this podcast or anybody in the world is the limitations we put on ourselves, right? And the only reason people are having more success than we are is because they're thinking bigger. It's not because they're smarter. It's not because they're better looking. It's not because their gender or their set or their ethnicity or where they were born. Like it's because of how big are they thinking? And that's really the correlation of the size of your success is the size of your thinking. And so if you can think bigger, then you can have more success. The more success you have, the more money you have, the more you can do and help others and, and give back. So get out of your own way. Like we are always our own bottleneck. You're the only one who can limit your greatness. And so don't be the limitation, right? Get out of your own way and start thinking bigger. Second to last question here, Tim, in one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Warm. How's that? Warm. <laughs> nice. I would say, I would say empowered. I think empowered is the word. Yeah. I feel empowered and I think they feel empowered as well. And other people who are watching feel empowered. So I think empowered would be that word. That's awesome. I love that. The final question we ask all of our guests, the age old question that I'm sure you've heard of before. Do you believe that money can buy you happiness? <laughs> I think when uh, your basic needs are not met, money can very much impact your happiness. If you don't have a safe home, if you don't have food on the table, if you don't have clothes on your back or, or a roof over your head, money can impact, but you don't need that much money in order to get into a safe neighborhood, put some food on the table, and then get some clothes on your back. So if you're a household that, that has an income in that 
I don't know what it is, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, and you can cover your basic needs. Now it doesn't matter if you make fifty thousand a year or fifty million a year. Money has zero impact to your happiness. When your basic needs are not met, I get it, right? Like you're worried about making sure that your family's safe and healthy and can survive. That can be a big stressor and can very much affect your happiness. But beyond that, there there is no level of happiness that your happiness increases as you make more and more money beyond that. So now you got to work on you. And really your gratitude is, is the key to happiness. If you can have something to compare it to and you can appreciate what you've got, regardless of how much or how little you think you have, realize that dude, there's somebody in this world who would gladly trade their lottery ticket for yours any day of the week. Beautiful answer, man. I love that. Thank you so much, Tim, for coming on our podcast, dropping so much gold and sharing all your knowledge with us and sharing all those stories. That was absolutely incredible. Where can people find you? Where's your content at? Where can people reach out to you? Yeah. Hit me up on Facebook or Instagram. Those are the platforms I'm most active on. If you guys got questions or you need pointing in the right direction or need a resource, feel free to shoot me a message and happy to help out any way that I can. So appreciate you guys. Appreciate the impact that you're making and you guys creating this platform for people to share their stories that are not shared enough. And so this is awesome. I really commend you guys for putting this together. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, man, and inspiring us to continue to go bigger with our dreams and goals so we can give bigger with our profits. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, Always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.